darkly splendid abodes. The official podcast of Toronto Philippe. Exploring, if you will, practical philosophy. From science and the workings of the mind to spirituality, esotericism, and magic. Stooping down, dipping my wings, I came into the darkly splendid abodes. In the system of Thelema, the Black Brotherhood and the left-hand path are technical terms with specific connotations. But it's not uncommon for people to run fast and loose with these terms, flinging them as insults at others, or making assumptions about their meaning. We'll dive into a chapter from Crowley's book, Magic Without Tears, to find clarification on the subject. Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. Love is the law, love under will. Welcome to Season 3. Any, oh man, I just can't get over the idea that we're on mic. Anytime <laughs> you say anything that acknowledges that we're on mic, I start laughing like an obnoxious git. Like <laughs> it, 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 the easiest audience I've ever had. The first episode of every podcast always has a "let's cut that out" joke, right? Like it's, it's like or like the old they Dave always tra- They always try to explain like you know you're going to hear this on Monday. But we're recording it on Friday. Mm. <laughs> and I, you know, pe- people get to pass that pretty quickly because it's just vulgar. And I can't. <laughs> it's, we're, what have we been doing this for a year? And every time you say like... Or has it been more than a year? <laughs> <laughs> this is perverse. Get over it, Mike. <laughs> Easiest audience ever. <laughs> Uh, we wanted to talk about letter number... I'm hearing that in the Alan Coulter voice. Letter number five. <laughs> letter number five. Letter number five. Letter number five. From Daisy. Mm-hmm. She wants to know. We wanted to talk about uh, letter number 12 today from Alistair Crowley's Magic Without Tears, which is entitled The Left Hand Path, hyphen, open quotes, The Black Brothers, close quotes. Um, and I thought that I knew this material fairly well. And now that I've sat with it for two weeks, I think I was right. I don't think I had that many incorrect perceptions. Although there's a few things that are uh, new to me, which I was happy to have corrected. Um, but on my first read, I was like, have I completely misunderstood what's going on? Because I, I just, the, um, I found this letter very difficult. Very, very difficult. I don't know why. Because uh, this is supposed to be like the beginner book stuff. But I, I think it's like the density of all the sub-references and how he tries to illustrate stuff by illusion and, uh, and metaphor. And, and uh, it's very like, um, yeah... It, I, I had it laid out in brass tacks, and then I read, you know, the what's on the page. And then I thought, like, oh, I had I started moving my tacks all around. <laughs> <laughs> I, I took some pins out and put some pins back in. <laughs> anyway, how how did you like uh, this piece this time? Yeah, I know what you mean because it is one of those pieces that you probably, as a an avid reader. And a thelemite, you're probably going to be reading this, you know, from time to time, like, you know, at least uh, half a dozen times uh, at the very least. And it's 
it does feel familiar, and yet, yeah, he does pack a lot of stuff in there. So it's another case of uh, where it's such a great thing to be able to do these deep dips because we can overanalyze instead of just having, you know, reading over it and then moving on to the next letter. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of panicked the other day and I said like does he only ever say two things about this <laughs> and like I sent you a text message being like you know kind of kind of kind of worried that I was missing the point entirely and I think I've resolved to having some you know basic understanding of the point again but yeah I found actually the excerpts from 418 that are included in here I found easier Hmm. Than the the body of the letter itself. Interesting. So I don't know. That's not usually the case. For yeah, I guess is usually quite difficult. I guess uh, to lay things out for people who uh, may not have actually read the stuff, read the stuff, and then yeah. get back to us. No, actually, you can you can listen along and then maybe read it after that, and then come back to us, and hopefully that uh, will be fun. But the layout of the letter is essentially addressing, yeah, what's the difference between the right hand path and the left hand path in Thelema. That's right. So this is very specific to the Thelema. It's technical language, and the idea of the Black Brotherhood, or the Black Brothers, is technical language in Thelema that we're applying this. This idea of the abyss and the idea of the divergence between uh, uh, the left-hand and right-hand paths seems to take place specifically once 7 equals 4, the grade of 7 equals 4 has been attained completely with all the buttons sewn on as yeah. it puts it <laughs> yeah and uh and then from there the idea seems to be to destroy the entire universe in one fell swoop um which i i, I have a hard time following exactly how that's like it's pretty uh assumed from his tone that this, this is like part and parcel of of this stage of the game here and then he says, well, then how can you destroy it in one sole stupendous gesture? Ah, listen to the vision and the voice. And then he he gives a paragraph or so after that, but he does append those references. And I have a hard time, to be honest with you, if you had an easy time with this, wonderful. But I, I, I have... <laughs> Easier. Yeah, I have, an, I have an easy enough time following what it's laying out in terms of describing, you know, the, the brothers of the right-hand path and the brothers of the left-hand path. But as far as how to destroy the universe in one sole stupendous gesture, uh, I was having a hard time drawing a line from that statement to these these visions, which would be great, and I'm happy to be corrected or or pointed in the right direction or have everything elucidated in one fell swoop. Here's the here's the big question: uh, the the last sentence of paragraph one, and uh, for the pedants. I uh, I apologize. I haven't numbered the paragraphs nor made up arbitrary section headings this time. So you're just going to have to <laughs> read read along at home. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, the last sentence of the first paragraph: At what point do they diverge? Meaning mm -hmm. the right hand path from the left hand. Uh, it is a, it's a sticky issue, right? And it seems to be a matter of attitude. Um, because he even says that the Black Brothers, in the end, still get to be little piles of dust in the city of the pyramids. You know, they have mm -hmm. this, they, they, they come to that inevitably because they're off balance and, and they, they, they can't do work without going out from themselves 
somehow. It's like they've restricted their concept of self and they're trying to do work by um, by reaching out and, and, and touching peripheral objects. They seem to be grasping. Um, uh, but they won't allow the peripheral objects in because they're worried about upsetting their sense of identity and this uh, this sort of way of operating where you're trying to preserve is um, a self-destructive way of operating. So they they end up being little piles of dust in the city of the pyramids. And for them, that represents a failure because they failed to preserve the things they wanted to preserve. But for the masters of the temple, that's the condition of success. And so what is the difference which path you take? Because surely... It's not a matter of if if we if we think of this as a me, as like a metaphysical quasi reality. If we're dealing with material principles and not just epistemological ones, um, like if there's a reality out there, there really is a no god who's not <laughs> controlling everything, and uh, and if you do the right thing for the wrong reasons, you know, like you end up being a little pile of dust in the city of the pyramids. You've still achieved the goal whether or not it was your goal so uh, and he says the difference is that there's a little bit of blood in the black brother's dust that pollutes the whole thing and then he starts breeding scorpions but like what the hell does that mean (laughs) right and if the master of the temple is just a little pile of dust how do they go on then go on to do work, to tend the garden, to uh, shed light, you know, to um, they don't uh, offer guidance, direct guidance or, or, uh, anymore the way the uh, that you do in the lover's triad. Once you become a master, your job is is just to shed light. And what does that mean? Like, it's another mm-hmm. layer of euphemism. And the reason that he's speaking of it all in euphemism, is that what he actually means, the precise, to put a precise label on it, it's a subject that can only be understood, as you said, by a full babe of the abyss, uh, uh, a 7-4 with all the buttons sewn on. You know, you're talking about very subtle material. And so uh, so, so we have to speak about it by illusion. Yeah, there's a, uh, he finishes his letter just before going into those passages from 418 uh, with something very on the nose for what you're saying there, which is, uh, he says, it makes it only all the worse when one has become so habituated by Nishamic ideas to knowing, even before one says it, that what one is going to say is of necessity untrue as untrue as it is contradictory. So what can it possibly matter what one says? Such doubts are dampers. Enough of because, be he damned for a dog. And then he moves on. (laughs) With the idea in mind that this is a difficult subject even for Crowley to elucidate, and he he expresses a couple of times in this letter uh, the concern whether or not he's actually overlooking some important detail. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just commenting on this from our point of view, it does strike me that this idea of like the Black Brothers uh, would be that idea of like keeping a hold of that idea of self and other so that you're trying to maintain the self, the individual self, and hold off the other and that seems to me a very 
um, what we tend to call an old Aeon perspective, a very something that would have fit right in with the Christian sort of mm-hmm. mentality about things, with this idea of good and evil and uh, us versus them and this kind of thing, whereas the Thelemic ideal becomes one of complete inclusion of all aspects of the universe. Yeah, that's right. That's important. Um, let's go back to the beginning here, and we'll just start going through the letter from the top. It is the introduction of the word self that has raised such prickly questions. It's really a little bewildering. The signpost right-hand path, left-hand path seem rather undecipherable. And then, for such a long way, they look exactly alike. At what point do they diverge? And of course, they diverge at the grade of 7-4 when you're becoming a master of the temple. You know, you've become an initiate of the AA, and uh, you've done your 110 work, which is to master the astral plane, your 2-9 work, which is to uh, get some preliminary attainments in yoga, your 3-8 work, which is to memorize all the tables of 7-7-7, your 4-7 work, which is to um, start worshipping deities, and then your 5-6 work, which is to attain the knowledge and conversation of your own holy guardian angel, realize your true will, and, and become sort of an adept of the system. Then you have Adeptus Minor, Adeptus Major, Adeptus Exemptus, this is a lifetime of, mm-hmm. of effort, uh, more than a lifetime for most people. But sooner or later, you come up against the abyss, which, uh, if you want to think of it epistemologically speaking, there's your ideas and everything you think you are, and then there's m- the mysterious source of inspiration. Like, where do those mm. ideas come from? And you're blind to, you know what that is. And so when you come up to the abyss and get to the point of trying to let the love of Babylon carry you across, you know, into the supernal realm so that you can begin to address these questions of where inspiration comes from, uh, this is the point where the two paths diverge, left-hand path versus right-hand path. And unfortunately, we don't have the context of this because we don't have uh, Dear Sister's letters. All these letters are addressed, of course, in Magic Without Tears to a woman named Dear Sister. Hmm. Uh, There may be more than one woman, uh, but we only have Crowley's half of the correspondence, and we've only assigned ourselves this one letter, so he doesn't. We don't know if he's mentioned s- self in letter number twelve, uh, letter number eleven. Um, but the the question that makes the difference between right and left hand path is the question of the aspirant's definition of selfhood mm-hmm. and uh, what it means to be yourself in relationship to coming up to the abyss and and looking across into this uh this this blind empty dark non-existent sort of epistemological territory which we assume is actually metaphysical territory but uh it 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 helps to understand it from a to think of it from a epistemological perspective because everybody's had the experience of groping for a word they know they know and not being able to reach it yeah and then like where does it come from when you finally remember it? Yeah. You know, we can imagine it comes from across the abyss. Well, you mentioned the aspirant's um, conception of self, the way that they understand the idea of the self. That seems really important because this seems to be obviously one of the uh, crises of the adept. 
the path of the adept, where in this case, it seems to be, yeah, that uh, your conception of the self is um, shaken to its core. Mm-hmm. Now, the conception of the self for the aspirant is not necessarily correct. And that may very well be at the crux of this thing, where they want to grasp onto the idea. They can't let it go. Yeah. So by the time you've uh, done all, by the time you've attained knowledge and conversation of the Holy Guardian Angel, that puts you in some kind of relationship with some kind of a God, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're, you have a kind of ultimate reference point from which to perceive yourself and to be in context with the, with the whole world. You know, it's not just, uh, you know, me versus the ideas of this book that I'm reading or me versus uh, my, you know, who I thought I would be when I was a kid. But, um, but you get to be in reference to, what does it say in Libra Samach, uh, myself made perfect, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so you have a very full nefer. You have a very full understanding of the self not self duality, which you continue to refine by becoming an adeptist major and an adeptist exemptus. And so um, by the time, as you're saying, by the time you get to the to the point of crossing the abyss, um, that understanding of the self should be very very full and very complete. Uh, if we remember in one of the readings we did in the first season, I think it was the book about light, life, love, and liberty, maybe uh, book 150, is that Libellum. what it's called? Liber Libellum. Uh, he says that uh, there was that sophisticated view of self-not-self uh, dualism that accepted the idea that there might be things in the universe you didn't understand, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, and that there were other selves with other universes, yeah. other microcosms and other macrocosms. And uh, that your world would be distinct from other worlds until your understanding of the universe was very complete. And he says in here, until a man's understanding of the universe is complete. I can't find the quotation right now, but as we work through, we will will find it. Then they'll have only a partial, they'll only be a partial microcosm. Mm -hmm. So the, the man who comes up to the edge of the abyss has to be, has to have completed that that microcosm uh, and and then be ready to give up everything including their adepthood and let themselves drift across yeah and he he also makes reference to the idea of uh, I mean weighing it against it in uh, the sense that it's not correct to think of Atma Darshana or even Shiva Darshana as being the Hindu equivalents or the uh, Buddhist equivalents of the the crossing of the abyss. Um, but he does make reference to them. So Atma Darshana, Crowley's conception of that trance is the uh, perception. It's basically the vision of Pan. It's the vision of the universe as a whole without limitation. Uh, th- this is exactly what I was looking for. Unless your universe is perfect, there's the reference back to Libra 150, and perfection includes the idea of balance, how can you ever come to Atma Darshana? 
The Hindus may maintain that Atma Darshana, or at any rate Shiva Darshana, is the equivalent of crossing the abyss. Beware any such conclusions. The trances are simply isolated experiences sharply cut off from normal thought life. To cross the abyss is a permanent and fundamental revolution in the whole of one's being. Uh, and so now I think that uh, Vedic practitioners, uh, other yogis, will say that these trances actually do leave a lasting impression on you. But this is one of the important misunderstandings that I was laboring under, right? It's somewhere, uh, I think it's in the, the, even in the AA syllabus, the second half, he says that one of the titles of the master of the temple is the master of samadhi. Mm-hmm. And so I took it to mean that you should be able to make samadhi on any object for any, you know, length of time, you know, yeah. whenever you need to. And, and so getting to that either that no mind place or that place of complete identification disillusion into a into an object that really feels powerfully like at least from an like i said an epistemological standpoint the standpoint of a of a theory of mind that feels like getting across right because mm-hmm. you don't have a conception of you anymore you've dissolved into something larger so that really feels like it but but if you look at what happens to Crowley in the Vision of the Voice with his uh, encounter with the the, the demon sea, um, it's it's the silence is the solution to the problem. Uh, but he's, you still have to have the encounter, and it's quite explicit here in this text that some you need to have that conversation with the demon in order to be mm. uh, in order to be crossing. So uh, there's a there's a necessarily magical operation going on. It's not just um, it's not just a yoga of of no self or a, or a Buddhist nibbana or something. It, it really has to be a a, a battle between you and your false knowledge of the whole world or something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I, that's a little bit of an educated guess or a little bit of, you know, like we say, a wrong way <laughs> of talking about it. But, you know, Crowley's saying there are no, there are no right ways, mm-hmm. uh, but this has to include a magical operation. It's not just deep meditation. Yeah, it's worth uh, noting that uh, the demon sea, as you say, uh, well, the way that it's described and the way that Crowley describes it and that it's described in 418 is as this disembodied noise or information or sea of information and that sort of thing, but without a center to it. So you can, and it's trying to formulate a center. It's trying to, and and you can see using that in, in this case, you could kind of, Imagine how that's battling that I, that desperate attempt at creating a center, like an ego within it, is uh, what's battling the aspirant who's trying to move through the abyss. For Karanzan is, as it were, the shell or excrement of these three paths. Uh, I assume Kether, Chokmabina, maybe the three supernals. Uh, but I'm not sure. For Haranzan is, as it were, the shells or excrement of these three paths, and therefore is his head raised unto da'ath, um, knowledge, the false sphere of, uh, uh, sphere of knowledge, and therefore have the black brothers declared him to be the child of wisdom and understanding. 
but who is but the bastard of the svastika. And this is that which is written of in the Holy Kabbalah concerning the whirlpool and the Leviathan and the great stone. Um, so uh, our, our Kabbalistic doctrine is that each of these emanations of the divine, you know, the, the, the ten sephiroth that make up the tree of life, have a, a, a stagnation beneath them and behind them, a false... Um, there's, a, there's a false tree called the klifoth, and... Uh, where the shells of the dead, uh, and where all the edge lords go. Sure, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Shots fired, I guess. <laughs> Not sure at whom. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, leave your list of enemies on my desk in the morning. Uh, but so so, Haranzon uh, is going to be, uh, you know, the demon. The demon sea is going to be the the shells uh, of. Sort of the supernal of the shells, you know, the, those three, uh, the the dead parts of those top, those most top three emanations, and then he he pops up in the the fallen or false uh, sephira um, that is called Doth, which is sort of the turbulence of the abyss as you're trying to cross the bumps you come up against are uh, again let's speak of it epistemologically you're trying to meditate you're trying to get to know mind thoughts keep coming up and they seem important maybe sometimes maybe you get a uh, a quote-unquote insight about the nature of the divine, but if what you're trying to do is become a red triangle, insights into the nature of the divine don't help. <laughs> and so this demon, uh, in one very low conception, is the 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 entity that that sends these breaks out at you that that leave you chasing threads, mm-hmm. you know. And you can read you can read this very vividly in four eighteen, Crowley. Chasing the threads of argument that that Karanzan is is mm-hmm. spitting out at him, and then you know trying each time to e- either trap the demon in a logical fallacy that deteriorates <laughs> the whole thread of argument and gets him back to a, a no mind sort of center place. Yeah, the the one image in four eighteen that really stands out constantly to my mind is the other where he is seeing the. The voice coming from the throne, and it's just like this wind that's constantly talking and talking and mm-hmm. talking, and that's like pretty, pretty much on the nose, and that's exactly what he's experiencing. And Victor Newberg was experiencing when uh, they were in the desert and uh, evoked Karanzon into Crowley. So what's important about this? Uh, mark well the first distinction. The black magician or sorcerer is hardly even a distant cousin of the black brother. It is the difference between a sneak thief and Hitler. Uh, Rather, the difference between a sneak thief and Hitler is not too bad an analogy. The sorcerer may be, indeed he usually is, a thwarted or disappointed man whose aims are perfectly natural. Often enough, his real trouble is ignorance, and by the time he has become fairly hot stuff as a black magician... He has learnt that he is getting nowhere and finds himself, despite himself, on the true path of the wise. Reading these paragraphs because they make me feel uncomfortably seen. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and because 
I don't know if it's still fashionable, but it used to be fashionable for Thelemites to hurl the epithet of black brother at each other. You know, if someone was uh, being a troll on the internet, or that guy's, you know, yeah. he comes from dispersion. He's an agent of Karanza, <laughs> which sometimes it feels like they are, if, if not intentionally. Um, but the point is that it's actually, I mean, most people, you know, haven't, finished their neophyte most people have never approached the aa yeah so to say that someone has you know failed in their attempt to cross the abyss is not really a profound insult that's like <laughs> saying someone you know failed in their bid to become prime minister yeah it's like like oh what did you come in third you get vice president <laughs> yeah that's it <laughs> yeah it's like uh so there's important distinctions that that at some point will be uh, brought out here between the black school of magic, which those people are our allies, and their goal, their end goal at least, is the same as ours. Their um, metaphysics is different, and their epistemological approach is different, but they're still aiming for, you know, the supreme attainment between, you know, just like uh, just like a Satanist, you know, is another category, what Crowley calls a black magician or a sorcerer, um, who's just a disappointed man who's trying their best to use magic to sort of maybe paper over some errors <laughs> in there or some holes in their life. And then, uh, and then the, the black brother, who's this person who's, who's attempted this very supreme attainment and in so doing, has polluted themselves very profoundly by just not quite being ready for it, or maybe Crowley speculates being the wrong type of person. Maybe the evil was so inborn that they... Yeah, maybe it came so early on in the career yeah. that, uh, you know... Uh, um, and then the, the third reason to read this is that here's an open condemnation of Adolf Hitler. <laughs> we talked <laughs> we about go. it in our, our talkback episode about how, you know, in Magic Without Tears, Crowley was going to Hitler and the uh, the National Socialist sort of ideology fairly easily and saying like, oh, yeah, you know, it, you can think of an adept of Thelemer as sort of like a, a member of the master race, except that he just like doesn't have to come from any particular race. <laughs> you know, and so, uh, you know, that's can be troubling. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and I think that uh, the flirtation of many figures during the 1940s with uh, National Socialist ideas really is troubling and we're allowed to be troubled about it. Well, that's but, he, he actually has that line here. The about to be black brother constantly restricts himself. He is satisfied with a very limited ideal. He is afraid of losing his individuality. Reminds one of that Nordic twaddle about race pollution. Yeah, 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 good. So, um, you know, if I'm open to talking about how Crowley can be a bad dude sometimes and how I'm I'm often worried about him, uh, when he when he tries to come down on deliberately on the right side of history, we should also acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. um, so he's, uh, and I think this is all really about his relationship with Martha, Martha Kunzel, who was a mm -hmm. devoted fan of both Adolf, Adolf Hitler and Aleister Crowley and uh, was responsible for commissioning very many of the translations of Thelemic work into German. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, anyway, that's neither, that's not, that's sort of a, 
a footnote. On the on the note of, uh, if you don't mind, a slight tangent, then we can come back to this thought. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just like to hit that note that um, the idea of the abyss, the crossing of the abyss, the Black Brothers and accusing people of being Black Brothers and that sort of thing, that is, you know, it is worth kind of bringing that up as being uh, hyperbole and mm-hmm. people jumping to that way too easily just as... Uh, a matter of course. So, um, I had sent you like, uh, uh some quotes from Germer letters to Jane Wolf that uh, oh, right. were pertinent to that subject. And I thought maybe I'd read one or two of them. Oh, real please. Quick Cause here. there's one of them, at least one of them that I remember is really fun. Yeah. So, uh, the, the first one, I'm not sure if I sent this one to you, but it was basically, I don't know what the oath of the abyss really means, says Carl Germer to Jane Wolf in a letter. And though I have heard the term frequently, if this abyss refers to the crossing between 7-4 and 8-3, then I believe Monsieur Wilford T. Smith is less inspired by his HGA than by vanity, ambition, etc. of his evil persona. And again in another, he's got, Ever since I have been with the 93ers, I have heard a lot about the quote-unquote abyss. I have, from whatever I have read about it in books... Uh, in the books, placed this crossing of the abyss in between the 7-4 and 8-3. And from the way the thing is actually used, it seems to be somewhere else, say, lower down on the tree. It seems to be like this American tendency to apply words with definite meaning to something much more... And then there's just a little note that says illegible. (laughs) For instance, you say high school... For something which in Germany would be a a very low kind of a school. This different organization of the American brain in the use of words may account for you and Leia using abyss so often for commonplace things. So yeah, that's that's kind of on the nose, you know? One of the reasons, there's a couple of reasons that I avoid saying the name Haranzan, although I'll say it here because it's... We're quoting text, and it would be confusing to dance around it. But the first thing is that uh, I think I'm trying to artificially imbue it with a bit of power for myself. Like, mm. you know, I'm, I'm trying to become a theist. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to believe in magic. Even when I have experiences that seem spooky at the time, my instinct is to try to rationalize them and ignore them and whatever. So, so you're uh, scully. To allow myself to... Yeah, I'm 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 Scully to your Mulder. Uh, uh, sorry, my hair isn't cuter today. Uh, but uh, sorry, mine is. <laughs> Duchovny always looks good. He you're does. Allowed, yeah, yeah, you're allowed to be a good looking Duchovny. Uh, the the um, uh, but the, then another reason is that I've been having for a while now, very uh, deep experiences of of what I, I'll call pratyahara, which is sort of like a, a a deep silence. And I realize that I'm I'm nowhere I'm nowhere near where I need to be on the path of the return to, you know, I even approach my HGA necessarily, never mind think about crossing the abyss. So I don't want to kind of like evoke <laughs> some cousin of this experience by by calling the dragon by name too many hmm. times because uh, i don't want to you know i'm uh, 
I'm approaching my neophyte grade and I don't want to uh, approach the abyss as a neophyte, <laughs> 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 uh, which, cause that's famously a bad idea. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so I'm super guilty, I guess is what I'm saying of doing what, uh, um, Grant is saying here, you know, just because you have one or two uh, Diana experiences, or like even just like uh, a reliable Pratyahara, you think you've you think you're looking into the abyss, <laughs> you fucking child. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure that that whole California group at the time was probably throwing banding about the the term Black Brother for everybody who displeased them and what. Oh, sure, because there were so many schism, there was so much schisming and stuff. Yeah. Um, the left-hand path is a totally different matter. Let's start at the beginning. You must remember my saying that only two operations were possible in nature. Addition and subtraction. Let us apply this to the magical progress. What happens when the aspirant invokes Diana or calls up Lilith? He increases the sum of his experience in these particular ways. Sometimes he has a liaison experience, which links two main lines of thought, and so is worth dozens of isolated gains. Now, is there any difference at all between the white and the black adept in similar cases? It is that one, working by love under will, achieves a marriage with the new idea, while the other, merely grabbing adds a concubine to his harem of slaves. And so, you know, here again, we're working by analogy, mm-hmm. you know, almost by accident, because he's being quite literal. You know, he's talking about like doing an Astarte working where you pick a god and write a little ritual, write some adorations, and then practice that several times a day for several weeks or something, you know, to try and build your relationship with that, with mm-hmm. that god. And uh, he's saying the healthy thing is to come into relationship with that God. And, you know, you have influence on the deity. The deity has influence on you. And you, uh, you're, you, you change by being in that relationship. If, if, I mean, somebody said to me once, the idea is not to microdose LSD. The idea is to take a whole lot of LSD all at once, and it changes you forever. <laughs> and I said, well, like, that's kind of scary. Like, <laughs> you know, why would you, why would you want to be changed forever? And he says, well, do you like who you are? You know, like, why are you doing this if you already like who you are? <laughs> like, what's the point of doing, uh, of, of spiritual practice if you don't want to be changed by it? So this is the kind of thinking that Crowley's pointing at here. Whereas the Black Brother doesn't want to be changed by it. The black mm-hmm. brother wants the god to become his agent or something. So maybe he does mean it literally. Maybe harem of slaves, you know, maybe he just wants a demon to go on fetch quests for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, It uh, becomes a bit of a power struggle, and I can't help, uh, I'm afraid, ironically, to get into talking about it like this idea that uh, there's fear at the back of this, but I can't help finding that that feels like the inevitable conclusion, like there's a fear that uh, um, is causing the black brother to want to dominate the other or to shirk the other. You are, uh, you and I are on the same wavelength. About three times in here, he'll nod to the passage from the Book of the Law that says the word of sin is restriction. 
Mm-hmm. And it's not just Crowley doing that. It's also the 418 spirits, the uh, mm-hmm. Enochian angels saying, you know, who hath not understood restriction yeah. or hath not understood the word of sin. Um, but I'm much, much more inclined as I'm reading this to be thinking about fear is failure and the forerunner of failure. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, Very if, if yeah. you, we were, um, long ago, you and Edward had that conversation on here about anger, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and I was, I, and I think I mentioned on the cast before, you know, about, uh, people who think there are, there are negative and positive emotions, you know, mm. or even uh, negative and positive behaviors, you know, like people just do things and then there are consequences, <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I much prefer to think of it in terms of preferred versus not preferred mm-hmm. versus negative and positive. Right. Yeah. Uh, but uh, like if you're scared of your own anger or something like that, like this is this is a, a part of yourself that won't get destroyed. When you yeah. cross the abyss, you know, that you won't be able to look at, that won't, be, that won't have a reflection in your universe and, uh, and may become, you know, that little drop of blood that, uh, mm. that, that pollutes your attainment, you know? Yeah. Spec- I'm, obviously we're speculating because, uh, uh, neither of us has all our buttons sewn on. Mm-hmm. Two of my buttons fell off on the way here. <laughs> So I've been on the subway with open trousers, which is not, I don't mean anything by it. Uh, but uh, anyway, <laughs> Jesus Christ. But yeah, that uh, I do want to point out, going back, that paragraph where he mentions, I really like that um, line where he says, um, somebody who's... Um, where do I start this? Well, basically, he increases the sum of his experiences in these particular ways, invoking by invoking Deanna or Lilith. And uh, Crowley says, sometimes he has a liaison experience, which uh, links two main lines of thought and is worth dozens of isolated games. And I, I, I wish I could put into words exactly how just that, what an aha moment that is. Um, but I, I don't know if this will actually do it or not, but like the image that I can maybe try to evoke it with is if you were trying to reveal a painting, like a big mural and, uh, with all kinds of stuff going on it, but you can't see any of it. And you're, all you can do is wipe off a little portion of it and then guess based on that, what else might be available and then maybe wipe off a little different portion over here and uh you know it's no guarantee that just because you have a few spots wiped off that it's actually going to give you a really clear idea of what the whole mural looks like but maybe when you start connecting a couple of them up and you get some clear clarity that way then it's like that can create this aha Mm -hmm. kind of uh moment of uh, that much closer getting that much closer to the full picture you had an aha moment about Aha! You, you, you're like, <laughs> oh, that's what an aha moment is. Oh, you're right. <laughs> aha! <laughs> uh, that's terrific. Yeah, no, you're right to point that out. And for more on this, people can once again apply to our previous episode on <laughs> Libra 150. Uh, but it's it's great to see some of these threads connecting um, in subtler ways. Yeah, because uh, in recent episodes, a, a lot of the readings that we've been doing have been, have either felt almost the same, 
<laughs> or been very subtle elaborations of previous concepts, and that's been helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but to see that this is different, reading this is different when you've fairly freshly read that. Yeah. Yeah, I got to say, it's really nice being back to some good old Crowley rather than, well, basically being off the Echad, <laughs> just because of the uh, the difficulty of um, the lack of a center there. <laughs> you uh, made a 12-step joke earlier, but but back off the Echad sounds like... <laughs> That's <laughs> sounds like you're 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 happy about renewing your commitment to your twelve step program. <laughs> uh, yeah, but of course I'm thinking about him all through this, right? I mean, uh, and there's some stuff in he's in, the Vishnu Vishnu in the room. There's some stuff about <laughs> Vishnu uh, Ganesha. Ah, the Ganesha. My, my mistake. The, the Ganesha. The Vishnu in the room is somebody else. Um, I think that's Jesus. Uh, what was it Uh, Jesus Stanfeld Christ Christ. (laughs) (laughs) oh my god Uh, there's something in here like about how the reason the path of Bith is uh, is superior on the tree to the Sephira of Binah is to confound the black brother, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so that he fails to create a second crown. Because if he succeeded to create a second crown, it would destroy the tree. Mm-hmm. And like, that's almost prophetic, isn't it? Like, Ahad <laughs> uh, builds himself a second crown and then spends the rest of his career re- rebuilding the tree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah, uh, be on the nose. Anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to keep talking about a cod, and I don't want to keep hammer because there may be a cod people listening. And I'm just, you know, maybe he had a wonderful cr- abyss crossing experience. I won't know until I see the diaries. Well, you know, uh, yeah, we can vent if we like. We can vent <laughs> if we want to. We, <laughs> we- <laughs> friends don't vent. <laughs> And if they don't vent, they're... No friends of mine. Yeah, no, uh, don't take anything too personally, oh, gentle listener. Yeah, <laughs> you're Stay not with us him. Here. Yeah, well, you're not him. And also, I I don't know, I can't speak for Michael, but I, I still do find Ahad's stuff of value. It's just, you gotta be able to, you know, you gotta sort the wheat from the chaff. I think I'm just cases. raw about it because we have to do more. Yeah. I don't know when we have to do more, <laughs> but at some point we have to do the Master of the Temple Diaries. And at some point it would be, uh, we, we, you know, we promised about four times to do Anatomy of the Body of God. And like, there's a right way to approach it that uh, it deserves. And I, you know, even if we don't do that for seven years... I'm still mad we're going to have to do it. <laughs> you know, the, the, the subject of uh, um, Charles Stanfeld Jones comes up frequently in the Germer letters as well mm-hmm. as uh, one of the examples. Him and Mudd, Norman Mudd, uh, were, and I guess Leah as well, um, but particularly uh, Jones because of the fact that uh, he's an example of having, you know, read too much into the book of the law and taken it too much to heart being, you know, one of the personae in the book of the law. And uh, apparently Leia and Mud both kind of did that as well mm. um, with all the reason in the world. And uh, in fact, the whole Chefalu period, Germer is referring to as being an experiment uh, that Crowley had learned a lot from. 
Uh, so, and it sounds like going back to the idea of that short comment that's tagged onto the end of the book of the law, warning against the study of the book and whatnot. Mm. I think uh, that was all very much in reaction to a lot of these people who let it go to their heads. Hmm. That's interesting. But back to the material at hand. Uh, was that all you wanted to say? Just that it's nice not to be doing a chad. You were in the <laughs> middle of a thought, and I feel I like I cut so, you yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. Let me let me uh, regroup here for a moment. But uh, um, no, you know, I I think it's uh, it, it is pertinent to refer to a chad, considering the the material here, because there's um, whatever you think of a chad, we are trying to understand what constitutes a black brother, what constitutes the left-hand path. And uh, that might be very illustrative because Crowley specifically says here that the two paths look identical. He didn't say similar. He says identical up until a certain point. That's right. And that point is at this very stage of the game. Yeah, you have to get there. Mm -hmm. You have to get there before you can attempt to cross... And the failure of the black brother is the failure of his attempt to cross. Mm -hmm. So all the, you know, the, the there's only one roadmap. Um, that's the unique thing about our Aeon is that we have curriculum all the way up to 8.3. Yeah. In previous centuries, curriculum only went up to 5.6 and then you had to be martyred. <laughs> so we have we have curriculum and we don't have to martyr ourselves yeah here we are if there's any difference between the white adept and the black adept in a similar case it is that one working by love under will achieves marriage with the new idea while the other merely grabbing adds a concubine to his harem of slaves and i just realized that that might be literal maybe he doesn't allow his magical operations to change him to, to, to be mm -hmm. transformative experiences. Maybe he's like a medieval sorcerer sending demons on fetch quests. But I don't hmm. think that can be it. I think this also has to be, if it's literal, that's great, because it's nice to have something literal in a text that's all presented by <laughs> euphemism. But I think it also has to be euphemistic, because there has to be some way in which he has to be restricted kind of in in all of his activities, right? I mean, most of what we do, even if we're very dedicated magicians, is not just, is not Astarte. Most of what we do is day-to-day -day life. And there must be some way in which uh, this, this type of restriction is a matter of course, I think, for him. Yeah, especially if this is a uh, um, an experience, this crossing of the abyss, that is... Uh, how does he put it, uh, fundamentally changes a person, mm -hmm. right? Like, I mean, whether you're uh, on the right-hand path or the left-hand path, presumably it's changing you fundamentally and not simply giving you a mere trance. So, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. I thought uh, that maybe the problem with the left-hand path is that the practitioner didn't allow themselves to be changed. Uh, but then what would be the difference? He's never, you might as well have never attempted the crossing in the first place. To attempt mm. the crossing and fail uh, must, you know, must be something significant. So you're right. Maybe he's changed in both cases. Uh, and it carries on from what I just read. You've already read this. The about-to-be black brother constantly restricts himself. He is satisfied with a very limited ideal. He is afraid of losing his individuality. 
And there's mm. there's the fear of failure, you yeah. know, because we're going to talk about the abyss crossing experience of being a very dissolutory to coin <laughs> to, to add suffixes where they needn't be uh, not desultory desultory experience <laughs> the individual sort of has to allow themselves to dissolve and so uh, if you're afraid of losing your individuality um, you know uh, then then that's the that's the core of the restriction that's the sin um, that that prevents you from yeah. doing the crossing. And he's saying the about to be black brother. Mm-hmm. So like you say, so it would appear that this is just, it's almost like um, you're going, you're going, you're going, here we come, we're coming through the doors and oh fuck, I didn't sign up for that. You try to back out of it. It's explicit, that's explicitly what's discussed mm-hmm. very shortly. Um, but it's in such cases, the man's policy is, of course, to break off all relationship with the supernal triad, to replace it by inventing a false crown, Da'oth. To them, knowledge will be everything. It sounds familiar. And what is knowledge but the very soul of illusion? Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope people uh, are getting these pretty basic Kabbalistic terms we're throwing out there. We have to, we have to stick to the text yeah. or it's just going to be a disaster. You know, so, we got so used to uh, having to explain every goddamn term that we came across that, uh, um, <laughs> you're right. It's like, it's almost like I'm just taking it as a matter of course that people are following here, but you know what? That's probably for the best. Yeah. I, because I think there's enough that one can get out of this without knowing what certain buzzwords mean. Um, and then whether it's listening to us again or hopefully actually reading it, mm-hmm. you know, and then reading it again and then reading it again over the course of a career of several years, you'll get deeper into it as you learn more of these, more of these words. But we can't, we can't get very deep into a piece like this if we have to do a beginner level discussion about yeah. everything it's referencing. I mean, I tried to do a little bit of a sketch of the career of the AA magician, uh, which is probably going to be exhausting and infuriating for anyone who already is a member of the <laughs> AA. And I may get accused of being, again, of having a superficial read, <laughs> but I was trying to get through it fast. <laughs> it was a superficial. <laughs> yeah. It was just, yeah. Um, but, uh, um, so, uh, what the hell? Yeah. So is afraid of losing his individuality. So this is very profound. Uh, and then in such cases, the man's policy is, to, is, of course, to break off all relations with the supernal triad and replace it by inventing a false crown, Da'ath, uh, the Sephira of knowledge. To them, knowledge will be everything. And what is knowledge but the very soul of illusion? So, again... Uh, thinking about it from the perspective of epistemology, from the perspective of, of like a theory of mind. What you want to do is you want to get up into the place of silent inspiration. You know, you don't want to explain the process of becoming inspired, you know, because th- that process is 
because it's a non-linguistic process, you can't apply language to it. Uh, so you're just going to going to end up writing the phenomenology of spirit, which there's no, you know, people, you know, it's uh, Hegel's important to Crowley, but he never suggests you should read him. You should read him, but like I haven't. <laughs> but uh, but um, there's there's more going on than our phenomenology. It's not just qualia, not just what it's like to be, but like Hegel sort of says, beingness, <laughs> right? And so you're trying to get up, uh, what, how does he call it? Primeval. You're trying to get yeah. up to, uh, to, to something primeval. Uh, yeah. And this goes back to the idea of the aspirants, uh, conception of themselves, of what the self mm. is. Uh, because if all of your conceptions of yourself are based on the way that your mind works and you're trying to transcend the mind, then that's not an easy thing to do, you know, and, and you're going to have to let go of all the stuff that you equate or that you equate to reality, essentially. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, um, yeah. Yeah, good. You have to. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> And he says, refusing thus the true nourishment of all his faculties, they lose their structural unity and must be fortified by continuous doses of dope in anguished self-preservation. Thus all its chemical equations become endothermic. Earlier he says there's only two operations possible in nature, addition and subtraction. What does he mean? The basis of chemical processes, you can either, you know, mix two chemicals together to try to create a third one, or you can break down chemical bonds to try to create elements, anabolic and catabolic reactions. There's only two kinds of reactions. And uh, all of the, our physiological processes in our body are, you know, either anabolic or catabolic. We're either building tissues or, you know, breaking down viruses or something, let's say, uh, breaking down bacteria or, you know, recycling old blood cells. Uh, and here, uh, en uh, endothermic versus exothermic, many reactions, many chemical reactions, uh, release heat. Like if you mix vinegar and baking soda to, you know, make your toy volcano explode, um, it gets quite hot. Um, because when you're when you break those chemical bonds, you release you release heat. Some reactions uh, need a catalyst, whether you add water or you you know uh, add fire to to warm up the chemicals. So an, an endothermic re reaction is one where the heat comes in from the outside. Uh, so um, and and very importantly, every living body, you know, like because the way our muscles work. Uh, they generate a lot of heat when they're when they're used because uh, they break down adenine triphosphate and adenine diphosphate and it re releases energy, releases heat. So this is the black brother is a person who's incapable of making their own heat. They need to bring energy in from outside in order to operate. Uh, the, but uh, but also because they they fear losing the cells, they don't let and you know the heat that they they bring in they want to kind of use it to keep operating but they don't let it 
affect them. Uh, dope in this period means the same thing it means now. It means uh, heroin or, um, or, or other drugs. So the kind of uh, work that the Black Brother is doing to, you know, say, coordinate their understanding instead of tend the garden it becomes obsessive. It becomes a, it becomes a, a self-destructive addiction. And, and, and again, it's difficult to know, um, to know what these analogies are pointing at. Um, but you can sort of imagine maybe like, uh, someone having a schizophrenic episode, you know, or a paranoid episode. So they seem to be getting all of their nourishment from fixating on, the idea that the TV is talking to them, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because every phenomenon is a particular dealing of God with my soul. So Rick and Morty are talking straight to me <laughs> or something like this, you know. And it, again, I kind of want to get all of our interpretation from the paper. But when the paper is doing stuff by analogy, you kind of have to guess what the analogies are for. Yeah, and Crowley likes to make chemical analogies, incidentally, because he, uh, as a child, was super into chemicals and uh, uh, chemistry and whatnot, and he blew himself up once. Oh, I didn't know that. You didn't know that? (laughs) He, uh, he, uh, I forget exactly what it was, but he was basically uh, created essentially what turned out to be a bomb in uh, in a sand pit and uh, blew himself to kingdom come and was... uh, on the verge of death for a little while. <laughs> I think he was probably about 12. Um, that's amazing. Uh, anything to say about that? This idea about uh, breaking off relationship, uh, refusing to nourish the faculties, refusing the true nourishment of the faculties. Yeah, there's. it, it seems almost as if by this uh, attempting to um, hold off the other one therefore becomes addicted to the the means of in energy intake in a sense if that makes sense yeah it's really weird actually when you think about it because if we're talking about if if in our analogy we're talking about the supernals as being the place where inspiration comes from and you're you're cutting off your relationship with true nourishment, you're cutting off inspiration and just, uh, just dwelling on, uh, on, you know, let's say you're like we said, schizophrenia, let's say your mental illness, you're just dwelling on those things that already fixate you like revising and re-revising the tree of life or, uh, watching and rewatching twin peaks, which was my problem mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, whatever other petty obsession you can i didn't know you were a black brother who was uh, yeah, lost I'm, to the abyss uh, that i it's, the show is evil <laughs> the show is designed the, the, the sh- it radiates uh, yeah, evil. yeah yeah it, it doesn't radiate it it, it is <laughs> anyway uh uh great program uh, pure evil um uh pure evil <laughs> i don't know if there's any ministry fans out there. uh but uh, oh i they're definitely uh, <laughs> <laughs> if you're not wearing a tel- Metallica t-shirt right now, you get to take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a whole lot of silver people listening. Um, uh, Incidentally, I'm wearing a Dawn of the Dead <laughs> t-shirt at the moment. Yeah, we were talking about Romero on the way here, yeah, so I'm, you know, guilty. a study group by his gravesite the other day. <laughs> uh, 
so he's he's obsessing over refining the things he already thinks he knows because he won't let himself go into the area of pure inspiration. But it also says that all his chemical equations become endothermic. Oh, shoot. Yeah, okay, never mind. There's no contradiction. Endo is inside. So endothermic means the heat is all self-contained. He doesn't need to draw heat from outside. Uh, so my... Uh, my uh, forgive me, I'm, I'm on summer break <laughs> for my studies. So yeah, endothermic... Uh, um, this, yeah, the, which reminds me of uh, something, I can't remember where that's stated, uh, probably in 418 at some point, but I, I, can't, I can't nail down my mind. But basically, I'm picturing uh, one of the Black Brothers as being himself like a pyramid, but that is gradually slowly releasing energy until eventually he will be nothing but a piece of dust and then evaporate entirely. Yeah. I'm sure stuff like that is in here soon. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, Crowley's uh, example of the the opposite by way of contrast is every accretion must modify me. I want it to do so. I want to assimilate it absolutely. I want to make it a permanent feature of my temple. I am not afraid of losing myself to it, if only because it also is modified by myself in the act of union. I'm not afraid of its being the wrong thing, because every experience is a play of Nuit, and the worst that can happen is a temporary loss of balance, which is instantly adjusted as soon as it is noticed, by recalling and putting into action the formula of contradiction. So let's clearly state the confusion before we add the last element. <laughs> the last element, I think, is balance. Mm -hmm. uh, and But I, I just, I'm confused, and I want to clearly state the confusion. So the, mas the, the master of the temple is a person who has refined all their own elements um, uh, to such a point where they become perfect microcosms of the perfect universe, and then in Cross of the Abyss have dissolved, you know, into... Uh, have dis they've destroyed both themselves and the universe, and all that remains is a little pile of dust in the city of the pyramids. So, like we talked about, the for formula of martyrdom. Mm -hmm. They don't exist. Their world doesn't exist because they're dead. The Black Brother is afraid to do that and tries to cross the abyss and fails, ties up a little pile of blood, you know, a little, a little drop of blood, uh, which means that ultimately he rots on the inside. But it says here, uh, he must become a little pile of dust. This is exactly that which he most dreads. And it is that which must in the end come. Because there is no compensating element in his idea of structure. I don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. A compensating element is the idea of Maybe we can talk through it. But so, uh, but so the, the black brother uh, does not destroy himself. He's a little pile of dust in the city of the pyramids, but there's a drop of blood. It's polluting everything. And he's making scorpions or something, it says later. <laughs> um, but the master of the temple, also, that self-destruction was temporary because they aren't martyred. They get to come out of their, their vision on the other side, permanently transformed. And they, the, 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 they tend a garden or they 
you know, give off, give off light. So it's, so it, it seems like the thing that would be the difference, you know, one person dissolves into Nirvana and the other person becomes an immortal lich wandering the earth. There is no dissolving into Nibbana for the Thelemite. The Thelemite stays and and teaches, becomes a, uh, what's the word? The Buddha of compassion. What mm-hmm. are they called? The Bodhisattva? Bodh- yeah, the, the Thelemite always becomes a Bodhisattva. They don't make a choice. Mm-hmm. The master of the temple is a Bodhisattva. And so, like, I don't, it's, I really don't understand there is, the difference. There is one thing that comes up in here that uh, it's almost like the, both things are happening simultaneously. Mm. Because, um, it, it, okay, I'm going to say it in just simple terms that I don't think this will be correct, but I'll just sort of say it this mm-hmm. way for ease of expression. Um, the master of the temple becomes a little pile of dust. Meanwhile, there's also that part of him that is cast out into the sphere of Jupiter, as it says in Libra 418, and Crowley posited that perhaps it depended on <clears throat> the particular adept uh, because Ahad seemed to be cast out into uh, Malkuth. Right. So maybe different adepts will be cast out into different spheres. But this cast out element picks up the uh, the Skandas, the uh, um, Sankaras. I'm trying to think of the right... Buddhist term, but basically the habitual, habituated patterns of the adept and carries them out in the world. Um, And I wonder if that is essentially the manifestation of that hermit. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the black brother of the left-hand path would presumably be cast out into Da'ath, which is a non-existent sphere say that that's the supernal triad, try to wear it as a crown, mm-hmm. and then destroy the whole tree. Yeah, I'm, I'm but then to not the... a master of the temple. In fact, I am I'm... an ipsissimus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then to destroy the whole tree is just like, it just seems like another euphemism for, like, for crossing the, for crossing the <laughs> abyss. So can we talk about this one word at a time? There is no compensating element in his idea of structure. Mm-hmm. So what's a compensating element? A compensating element is like a feature that corrects. It's, it's on the opposite side of whatever the, the principle being analyzed is. Yeah. Now, Crowley mentions this idea of uh, the formula of contradiction mm-hmm. being the means of attaining balance. So when you're, when you're trying to hold yourself apart from parts of the universe, then you never get to the final formula of zero. He doesn't have a not-self. Yeah. Well, he doesn't have, he has nothing but not-self all around him, and he's right. trying to keep away from it. Maybe that's a better way of thinking of it. Uh, yeah, so he's, he's, okay, yeah. I mean, just this idea of, superficially speaking, this idea of one is afraid and the other isn't, and one is restricted and the other is destroyed, you know, like, I I know the difference between a bodhisattva and a vampire, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but when we're approaching it by analogy with this kind of, like, 
for the signpost left-hand path, right-hand path seems rather indecipherable, and then for such a long way they look exactly alike. It really, it's quite, it's actually quite profound. Even the crossing experiences, yeah. you know, it's not just that one tries and fails. It's that they've, there is a crossing experience, but it's perverse. And yeah. in what way it's perverse, you know, uh, I'm trying not to think of a chad all the time because I don't even know if a chad, if yeah. I, you know, I'm just pretending that a chad's a black brother because it tickles me. <laughs> but Crowley thought he was a master of the temple. So even though in some of these places it looks like he's talking about a chad explicitly, <laughs> um, uh, he never, like, denies that attainment. So he can't be, you know? You know what? A lot of the way that Crowley talks about this subject, I mean, he does sound authoritative. I'm not going to, I'm not going to downplay that, but it does seem to me like he's trying to grapple with it himself. He's trying to understand himself what this is, what this subject is, what this, what a black brother is, what the left-hand path constitutes attempting to understand and grapple with this subject himself. So do you think that's what he means when he starts talking about how important balance is? Like, it's not just that you have to be a microcosm of the universe. The universe necessarily includes the idea of balance. And that balance is a key feature of what's lacking in the crossing experience of the Black Brother, that, that is, is the, the sort of atrophy that ends up. Mm. destroying them well yeah i mean again you, you, it can't be said enough that the whole idea of the thelemic path uh, in, includes everything in the universe you are becoming identical to the universe and to exclude anything from the universe uh, because you don't like it or you don't want it or you're trying to keep something to yourself uh is problematic and uh, yeah, like you say, it's like I probably uh, somebody who becomes a black brother isn't consciously becoming a black brother. You know, we, we mm -hmm. get like the idea that somebody's uh, saying, you know what, I'm going to specifically go against the grain and I want to explore this left hand path specifically. And it's like, no, that's not exactly what we're talking about here. This is uh, something that seems to happen in spite of the person. But that's even hard to tell. You know, it's hard to be 100% explicit about that, to be honest. Here's what it's like to be in the abyss, maybe. The egg of the serpent is a basilisk egg, and the gates of understanding are 50. That is the sign of the scorpion. The pillars about the neophyte are crowned with flame. The vault of the adept is lighted by a rose. In the abyss is the eye of the hawk. But upon the great sea shall the master of the temple find neither star nor moon. He's saying that in the neophyte temple there's fire, uh, in the adept temple there's a rose, and in the abyss there's the eye of the hawk. All these things are lit, you know, whereas upon the great sea the master of the temple finds neither star nor moon, so there, there is no light. And I was about to answer him, the light is within me, but before I could frame these words, he answered me with a great word that is the key of the abyss. And he said, Thou hast entered the night. Dost thou yet lust for day? 
Sorrow is my name and affliction. I am girt about with tribulation. Here still hangs the crucified one, and here the mother weeps over the children that she hath not borne. Sterility is my name and desolation. Intolerable is thine ache and incurable thy wound. And I said, Let the darkness cover me, and behold, I am compassed about with the blackness that hath no name. O thou who hast cast down the light into the earth, so must thou do forever. And the light of the sun shall not shine upon thee, and the moon shall not lend thee of her luster, and the stars shall be hidden because thou art passed beyond these things, beyond the need of these things, beyond the desire of these things. And and uh, this is uh, uh, actually it's going to be Im- important to go on for one more paragraph because in the body of the letter Crowley refers to exactly this passage from four eighteen by just saying behold where thine angel had led thee uh, about a paragraph down he he carries on saying behold where thine angel hath led thee. Thou didst ask for fame, power, and pleasure, health, and wealth, and love, and strength, and length of days. Thou didst hold life with eight tentacles like an octopus. Thou didst seek the four powers, and the seven delights, and the twelve emancipations, and the two and twenty privileges, and the nine and forty manifestations, and lo, thou art become as one of these. Bowed are their backs, whereupon resteth the universe. Veiled are their faces, that have beheld the glory ineffable. These adepts seem like pyramids, their hoods and robes are like pyramids, and the angel saith, Verily is the pyramid the temple of initiation, verily also is it a tomb. Thinkest thou that there is life within the masters of the temple that sit hooded, encamped upon the sea? Verily there is no life in them. So you can see the vividness, and this is not poetry, right? This is, uh, um, he's doing magical work and doing visionary work and having these experiences, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Out-of-body experiences, you might want to think of them as dreams provisionally. They're not, but but he's actually there. So if you want to say, you know, fear is failure and the, (laughs) the forerunner of failure and say that he says the, the black brother, he says, look at this passage, behold where that angel hath led thee. Look at this passage and see as soon as the, perhaps as soon as the adept realizes the program, <laughs> uh, as soon as the black brother realized the program, maybe he dismisses his angel <laughs> and runs in a different direction. And you can see why someone might, uh, someone might panic when they realize the program <laughs> being come up against this degree of darkness and uh, and being told that the, the temple of initiation, verily it is also a tomb. You know? Yeah, when you were reading that, uh, what stuck out to me was the, the passage, um, thou art passed beyond these things, beyond the need of these things, beyond the desire of these things. Yeah, and I was wrong. This is not what it's like in the abyss. Uh in the abyss is the eyes of the hawk. This darkness is the darkness of the great sea. Mm-hmm. This is success. Yeah. <laughs> this is what success looks like. This is when you're looking at success in the face. Uh, and, uh, and oh, this is so great, right? Like, because what magicians want is expansion, right? They want mm-hmm. greater 
cultural cap. They want more cult. What if what uh, uh, Keith four eighteen he calls it like cultural capital when he writes, right? Hmm. They want more cultural capital. They want to be cooler with their friends. Uh, they want to <laughs> they want to pull more dames. Uh, they want more political power. They want you know bigger hot tubs, <laughs> and uh, and then gradually, hopefully these these aspirations become higher, become more refined. You know, you pull more and more stuff down from the, the supernals, more and more inspirations and you're, you're working up higher and higher. And the, the idea of the self becomes bigger and bigger. And eventually, you know, you find that your grandness perhaps, uh, is co-equal with the universe. And, and, uh, Oh, there's a, um, there's a way that, Vedic practitioners talk about this saying that the that a the, that a Hindu saint you know you just tell him the title of the book and he can tell you the whole book hmm. you know the phenomenology of the spirit by Hegel Hegel hmm. let me tell you what Hegel would think about uh, what let me tell you what a guy named Hegel would would think about the phenomenology of spirit because their ability to understand terms is perfect and their ability to do like you know to understand conditions is perfect so they can predict the whole the whole every word of the book from a perfect understanding of the title this is not exactly the same thing right but but it's funny because uh, that the first thing that comes to my mind is that seems like a preoccupation with knowledge mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's because it, it, it's because of what he said what said later on right now now that you're um now that you're nemo uh all the answers to all the riddles will that you've ever pondered will just come to you yeah. unrequested because you have a direct connection to this yeah. inspiration. Um, but it's, it's not, it's not that you are a perfect model of the whole universe, but that you fully, you fully built a universe that's fully correct. You're in correct relationship with self, the universe and everything. So. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, I wouldn't mind uh, defining. I know we've kind of avoided getting off on defining terms and whatnot, but Nemo is probably a worthwhile one to bring up because uh, it's it is the title, the name, so to speak, uh, ironically, of the master of the temple. Mm-hmm. It actually means no one in Latin. Oh, that's good. Thank you for uh, thank you for saying that because that's something I had forgotten long ago. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's the the title of the master of the temple, frequently used, and we've mentioned it in the Achad episode too. The reason that I took the oath of the abyss was that i thought master therion needed nemo in order to become a magus so mm-hmm. um and maybe that'll give you some insight into uh, uh captain nemo as well who <laughs> dips into the abyss himself <laughs> captain no one yeah uh, oh yes uh, to have uh Ten thousand leagues under the sea. Twenty thousand mm. leagues. How mm. many leagues under the sea? Lots of leagues under the sea. <laughs> Justice <laughs> leagues under the sea. Two large alephs <laughs> under the sea. <laughs> the League of Nations under the sea. I just uh, just thinking out loud while I think it while I think silently. Yeah. So um, it's not one of Crowley's magical names. It's it's a esoteric title for the grade of the Master of the Temple. No one can do this. Um, Nemo hic, Nemo hoc, facere potest. Well, that's one little passage from uh, the vision and the voice at one point where uh, he's given a bow with a barbed 
arrow to shoot at a small child. And uh, he says, I can't. He's basically, no one can do this. And the response is, Nemo, hoc facere potest, which means Latin for no one can do this, and you are no one. That's terrific. <laughs> I can speak Latin too. Vastus lateralis, vast as me, vast <laughs> as uh, Rectus femoris. <laughs> Rectus barely knew us. <laughs> Uh, the least helpful Latin I've, I could have possibly <laughs> learned for dealing with occultism. I was both. Oh no, we got time. Uh, do you want to pull a few more quotes out of this? Uh, these um, chapters on the vision and the yeah, voice, and see if we can uh, we can explain what they mean. Yeah. Um, did you have uh, something you wanted to jump into, or shall I? Like I have a few, but uh, I my hope is that we've done a good enough job of just defining terms like what is the abyss what is the master of the temple what is the black brother of the left hand path and i thought we were going to need to go to the vision and the voice for elucidation um but we've been able to rap about it so much in a casual way that i think uh, i i think we've expressed our best understanding of 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 the clear definitions and also explained some of our confusions in ways that are helpful. So this is just going to be, um, this is going to be further defense of the thesis, but I don't need, you know, I have probably 10 quotations marked out here to read and I don't, we don't have to do all of them. So like, uh, like whatever, uh, whatever the next thing, anything we read will be fun to talk about. Okay, well, uh, I was just looking down at the text and seeing the word NAMO uh, spelt in uh, all caps. And it also, (laughs) this is lame, but uh, it spells the word omen backwards. And there's a Latin (laughs) phrase, a Latin saying, nomen est omen, which is to say, the name is an omen itself. Mm. And apparently NEMO is an omen. But enough of that. I did want to read... The uh, the very last portion uh, in full because it's short and I think it was pertinent. But uh, let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. So we usually read out on those, but I agree. I think this is worth talking about. So reading out on it is not the best move. Hmm. And this is the meaning of the supper of the Passover, the spilling of the blood of the lamb, being a ritual of the dark brothers, for they have sealed up the pylon with blood lest the angel of death should enter therein. Thus do they shut themselves off from the company of the saints. Thus do they keep themselves from compassion and from understanding. Accursed are they, for they shut up their blood in their heart. And I think this is why I wanted to read this, because it was like really what brought a lot of these ideas to mind that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. They keep themselves from the kisses of my mother Babylon. And in their lonely fortresses they pray to the false moon, and they bind themselves together with an oath and with a great curse. And of their malice they conspire together, and they have power and mastery, and in their cauldrons do they brew the harsh wine of delusion, mingled with the poison of their selfishness. Thus they make war upon the Holy One, sending forth their delusion upon men and upon everything that liveth, so that their false compassion is called compassion, and their false understanding is called understanding. For this is their most potent spell. 
Yet of their own poison do they perish, and in their lonely fortresses shall they be eaten up by time that hath cheated them to serve him, and by the mighty devil Koronzon, their master, whose name is the second death, for the blood that they have sprinkled on their pylon, that is a bar against the angel of death, is the key by which he entereth in." And Crowley says, I think the trouble with these people was that they wanted to substitute the blood of someone else for their own blood because they wanted to keep their personalities. Mm-hmm. This is exactly the way we've been talking about it. And uh, this this was my preconception, and I'm glad to have it reified. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, um, uh, it was... It, I, it was dicey there whether or not I was going to end up being right about that. <laughs> I have explained this to so many people, I did not want to discover that I was wrong. Yeah. And incidentally, he does say the, uh, they have been eaten up by time that hath cheated them to serve him. And time, incidentally, is uh, Kronos, also known as Saturn, who is in Bina. Hmm. Uh, yeah, great. So Bina being the Sephira that's right across the abyss, which is your landing, the landing of the pad temple. if you make yeah. it across. That's where the city of the pyramids is. That's where, yeah, the, 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 the darkest place of darkness with no stars and no moon that we just talked about. That's, mm-hmm. that's the great sea Bina. Um, and the sphere of Saturn or, and Kronos. Uh, Kronos also, uh, is it Kronos who eats his own children except for Zeus? And then Zeus, uh somehow smashes somebody out of the top of his head or something (laughs) i think uh uh substituted for a rock that chronos eats uh man that's so great and so apt and so uh uh, appropriate um yeah this is the point right is we the euphemism we use for you know attaining no self and becoming no man is we sacrifice all our blood into the cup of Babylon, you know, the, the Holy Grail, like Jesus, you know, mm-hmm. the crop that caught the blood of God, uh, the saints and the martyrs and the masters of the temple, we all get to be, to drain our blood into the, into, into the Holy Grail, into the cup of Babylon. And here he's saying that the, 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 the Supper of Passover, you know, putting, marking your doorposts with the blood of the lamb so that the angel of death passes you over and only kills the firstborn sons of Egypt, not the firstborn sons of Israel, mm-hmm. um, uh, that this is going to, that, that this is actually going to be the ritual of, of, of the black brothers because um, they, by being unable to confront the angel of death, they've, you know, wanting to keep their identities, not wanting to sacrifice their own blood. They've, they've failed in their abyssal crossing and become, uh, and maybe this is the reason that no member of this generation actually makes it to Israel. They, you know, it's a, it, it's a three-day walk or something from Egypt to Israel, <laughs> and they wander the desert for 40 years, and everyone dies, and their children get to Israel. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's usually thought of as being because of uh, the incident with the golden calf and stuff, yeah. uh, or the, uh, the flaming 
serpents or whatever, you know, all of the times that they were <laughs> impious and betrayed their emancipator in favor of uh, Canaanite deities. But the angels are saying, no, it's a, it's actually the, the, the Passover itself that's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, in the we, this is nice. In, in seven pages, we get a condemnation of national socialism and a whole new reason to be anti-Semitic. <laughs> It's very, very helpful. Thank you. That's sarcasm, incidentally. <laughs> uh, no, I, w- I want to do an episode on 418 just focusing on the corrections he gives to interpretations of biblical verses. Because every single one of those biblical verses has come up in my cult research. Um, mm. People like the Ku Klux Klan or the – forgive me for mentioning these people in the same breath – they have the same ideas about this one thing. <laughs> I'm not saying all Jehovah's Witnesses are are, are clan members, uh, but again, the, the, the scriptural interpretation is this of these particular verses is the same, and certain other ones too. Basically, new religious movements in America tend to use a very specific three to five passages of the Old Testament as a justification for American slavery, mm. and. Libra 418 systematically corrects the interpretation of every single one of these verses <laughs> by saying, no, 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 this isn't about black people being enslaved by, you know, yellow and, and, and white people. This is about the black, white, and yellow schools of magic or something, for example. Mm. Um, I didn't uh, know about that coloring to it that uh, these other groups brought to the table uh yeah and so it's i didn't know either and so it's wild that like whenever he's doing whenever the angels are doing biblical interpretation they're specifically saying no this doesn't justify american slavery this is about the three schools of magic Mm -hmm. uh but also the supper of the passover is just the ritual of the black (laughs) it's like oh just you know you're looking for things that help (laughs) uh uh, and um, you know, every, this bad politics. Uh, you know, anytime you anytime you think you find a document that excuses the bad politics, more bad, more bad <laughs> politics creep in. So well, you know, you know, it would be cool to explore some of those things for sure. And in like, I mean, there's other things like the uh, uh, the correction made in Libra four eighteen to the lovers card. Where mm-hmm. they give uh, the the original layout of the card, so to speak. I mean, they s- literally say it's the original of it, but it's the brothers, and it's representing Cain and Abel. Yeah, who are order. Mano and Yimo, who mm. are twins who wandered in darkness for a long time, pre-existing gods, pre-existing uh, Skyfather. What's his name? Peter, whatever, <laughs> the father of this pre-existing Zeus, pre-existing. Odin pre-existing uh, uh, Zeus is a weird one because he's both the Sky Father and the Thunder Hero. They should be distinct. It mm-hmm. should be Odin and Thor, but Zeus gets to be both because he's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and then um, they're wandering around with this ox, and they get bored of being the only exodent beings in the void, and. Uh, they agree they agree that that Yemo will need to be sacrificed to create the universe and mm. so um so manu manu murders Yemo, uh gives his body to the sky father the sky father creates the world 
Um, and there we get Romulus and Remus. And yeah, Romulus and Remus is is another uh, version of this story. There's versions of this story in, uh, I think, in the Avesta. Versions of this story in uh, the Vedic scriptures. Uh, Cain and a- the Cain and Abel story is a version of this story. That's why Crowley says the story of the brothers is the story of Cain and Abel, the first murder, and is the story of the creation of the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is really neat when you look at the um, proto-Indo-European work that's been done on this, because the, the, most of the versions of the reconstructed early story that's the hypothetical ancestor of all of these, first of all, the human people pre-exist the gods, so they are mm-hmm. sex homo, and then the universe is made out of a sacrificed man, the, the sacrificed twin, so microcosm, macrocosm, the tree of life is both the body and the universe. That's how that happens. And then weird things like the Yemo's hair is the grass and Yemo's, the back of Yemo's head, his occipital bone is the moon. His mind is the sun and the rest of his head is the, the night sky. Mm. And so uh, when Nuit says things like, my incense is of resinous woods and gums and there is no blood therein because of my hair, the trees of eternity. Mm. You don't have to burn human sacrifices to me because the human sacrifice has already been made. You know, my hair, the hair of my head, the night sky is Yemo's head and mm. his hair is the grass, the trees of my hair, the trees of eternity. Interesting. Uh, so like versions of the story have been published for a, a lot because they're, they exist in, like I said, in, in many different ancient cultures but the proto-indo-european version of this story i don't think was published until 1923 and then in german Mm -hmm. so when crowley publishes the book of toth it's likely that he's read this stuff but when but when the book of the law is received it's likely that he hasn't read this stuff Mm -hmm. so for the when you see things in this in the in the holy books that seem to be explained by proto-european mythology it's uh cool yeah it's 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 neat it's neat it, it the book of the law like predicts the discovery of the proto-european myths mm. and language more more evidence and uh the people that are listed if you if you google this stuff people that are listed as like great grandfathers of this line of research are max Mueller, uh who crowley recommends many of his books on the a reading list because mm. he's the one that did all the translations of the uh, great books of the East. J.G. Fraser and Max Mueller are both on the list of like the grandfathers of this kind of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, holy smokes. That, uh, cool stuff. I've been trying to get that off my chest for a while. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> just the fact that it just jumped into the middle you of just this. Just walk around with that in your back pocket? <laughs> yeah, yeah. For months. <laughs> well, you got another uh, quote that you want to pull here? Uh yeah, let's try to grab, I don't know, maybe one more. Well, there is, uh, before you jump into one, uh, there's also that bit from, uh, Moreover, there is Mary, a blasphemy against Babylon, for she hath shut herself up, and therefore is she the queen of all those wicked devils that walk upon the earth, those that thou sawst, even as a little black specks that stained the heaven of Urania. And all of these are the excrement of Karanzon. Yeah, man. <laughs> Why is that better? You know, when 
in the genealogy of morals, Nietzsche complains about Jews for like a hundred pages. And then he names his Jews, uh, Mary, Paul, and John. Uh, and he's like, these are the Jewish conspirators that overthrow aristocratic morality. And, it, and so it's all a criticism of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And the reason he keeps calling them Jews is just to annoy anti-Semites. Because <laughs> he actually, he likes the Old Testament. He thinks it's vigorous and violent and all the, you know, and <laughs> all the, and stuff, he all the stuff he likes. Um, it, that it has, it has instincts built in. <laughs> but like, when we say stuff that's like radically anti-Semitic, and then you go, no, 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 I mean Christians. <laughs> you apply exactly the same criticism to other groups of people. Everyone goes like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Christians are are awful. <laughs> yeah, it is, it like, is kind of easy. Yeah, it just, you, just, you just go like, as soon as you realize what Nietzsche is talking about, you forgive him for the entire thing. Yeah, it's like, Why oh, is... well, that's okay, because yeah, yeah. it's all right to hate those people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because those people are despicable. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that's the thing here. It's like, uh, I mean, it's easy to see this as uh, completely condemning Christianity, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I feel like it's easy to miss the point thereby, you know, because the, the point is that idea of restriction being the real sin, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really what's on trial here. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have to nuance this a lot uh, when we talk about the three schools of magic. Because uh, Crowley doesn't specifically say which school of magic Christianity belongs to. Mm -hmm. And it's nebulous whether it's white school or black school. I think probably black school. But in order to be a school of magic, you have to kind of escape Nietzsche's criticism of metaphysics as life-denying. Like if you you believe in an afterworld, Mm -hmm. afterworld literally... Uh, yeah, the, a beyond the place or whatever yeah. the term is. Yeah, um, that uh, if that if you believe in an afterworld, you're negating the value yeah. of 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 your own life, and so that's that's the nuance here. Is that like there's great Christian rituals, like the Eucharist, is like becomes important for Thelemites at a certain point, and we can't talk about it on air. <laughs> <laughs> but the Eucharist becomes crazy important for Thelemites, and you end up reading. Uh, not even like the secret book of John or any any of the Gnostic texts, but like Gospels, yeah. right? Uh, whereas here, it's this principle of uh, of life denial, probably, but mm. also more explicitly, restriction, fear yeah. of fear of experience, which is the Christian version of chastity. Thelemites have their own definition of the word chastity but the christian version of chastity and we've talked about this before too the difference between thelemic purity doctrine and like mm-hmm. like uh, uh radical christian purity doctrine where one is a, a denial of large parts of existence yeah. and one is the purity of pure existence yeah like the race know? purity twaddle so yeah, race purity to. twaddle but mostly to do with sex mm-hmm. like you know fear of sex or fear of everything worldly fear of the body fear yeah. of you know this sort of stuff anything carnal or supposedly bestial Mm -hmm. and i guess it'll be really interesting to look at those three schools as well because uh my instinct is that uh um probably it's not easy to pigeonhole christianity into just one place because of the fact that it's uh it's easy enough to make a broad uh generalization 
But that doesn't necessarily hold true in all cases anyway. So there's probably manifestations of any given religion that aren't necessarily pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. But anyway, that'll be an interesting subject to get into. Uh, This is going to be our last quotation, I think, for the night. So let me read a long one. I'm going to sort of read us out here, but we won't go out. We'll talk about it a little bit. It'll be the next seven letters. You know what? Stop me... And start me, because this goes on, and if you have something that you want to say, it's best to interrupt me. Uh, Finally. Okay, let's start with that. No, I'm sorry. (laughs) Yet must he that understandeth go forth unto the uttermost abyss, and there must he speak with him that is set above the fourfold terror, the prince of evil, even with Karanzon, the mighty devil that inhabiteth the outermost abyss. And none may speak with him or understandeth him but the servants of Babylon that understand, and they that are without understanding his servants. Um, so only two people have the, have the power of, of, of interacting with the, with the demon sea. You either have to be... Um, of ha- those who understand yeah, or yeah. those who do not who, who understand. Who lack understanding, but by lack, but in their lack of understanding are his servants, you know, the mm-hmm. servants of knowledge. And we're not anti-science, but the servants of of knowledge is an ultimate principle, right? The, the mm-hmm. um, uh, Or the, uh, the uh, masters of temple and black brothers is what we're trying to say. But must he that understandeth go forth unto the outermost abyss and there must he speak with him that is set over the fourfold terror. So this is not something that's avoidable. After mm-hmm. a certain after a certain point on your path, it becomes inevitable that you. Uh, so you can't, like we were saying earlier, this is saying that you. And this is a holy book. Remember, A B class A B is not some nebulous place between class A and class B. That's not really either. It's fully a whole a received holy teaching of Thelema and fully a work of holy scholarship. Mm-hmm. So it's this is a this is a class A document that you know. I mean, it doesn't mean we can't interpret it, but this are, this isn't Crowley's interpretation. This is like you know, for a Thelemite, this is like the truth, right? Yeah, this, this is, is transmitted. They uh, so it's not just so when Crowley says it's not just a trance like Atma Darshama Shiva Darshana, you have to perform a magical operation. That's from the scripture. That's right here, that that he who understandeth must speak. Mm-hmm. With the dub, you know, and uh, and whoso passeth unto the outermost abyss, except that he be of them that understand, holdeth out his hands and boweth his neck unto the chains of Karanzon. Uh, if if you are not a person with that understanding, a seven four a babe of the abyss, ready to go, then like the card, like the the couple on the devil card, you know, they hang their heads and they let themselves yeah. be chained. And as the devil, he walketh about the earth immortal, and be blasteth the flowers of the earth, and he corrupteth the flesh of the air, and he maketh poisonous the water, and the fire that is the friend of man, and the pledge of his aspiration, seeking that it mounteth ever upward as a pyramid, and seeing that man stole it in a hollow tube from heaven, even that fire he turneth into ruin, and madness, and fever, and destruction. And thou that art an heap of dry dust in the city of the pyramids must understand these things. Uh, the hollow tube, I think, is the phallus. 
Um, and so he's, uh, he, this is easy. He's, uh, corrupting all the elements by, you know, your, your failure to cross into the realm of divine inspiration and to be connected with sort, you know, the source material of the universe is, um, is condemning you to live in, in, in sort of the corruption of your own making or, or the corruption of the making of, of Karanzan, of the demon of dispersion. Well, you could imagine, uh, somebody going through this uh, process where uh, if they if you are coterminous with the universe, then uh, your insight carries some weight. But if you are completely cutting off even the smallest portion of the universe, um, that becomes massive. Mm-hmm. you know so it's like you're you're giving a corrupt point of view. I like the image I've always liked the image of uh, showing, uh, point of view on a piece of paper by drawing a little V and you're at the little apex of the V or um, whatever the uh, you know the point is mm-hmm. and anything that's within those two prongs of the V you can see and no matter how wide you make that V unless it's just you know the two arms go so wide that they collapse onto each other and there's no longer arms there and you're just seeing everything Anything less than that is cutting out big chunks, right? So mm-hmm. it's uh, no matter what. And like if, if, you know, if the universe is even approaching anything um, that seems infinite to us, uh, the smallest portion becomes massive. This is amusing because the V, the Roman numeral five, you know, the um, five of these makes up the pentagram and the pentagram is the universal man the you know the proportions mm-hmm. of the Petri- and vvvvv was uh, crowley's uh, moniker yeah. as the master of the temple yeah so if you and and so the the v this perspective as man like you're saying you know uh the perspective of the uh, of the man uh is a limited perspective until it cease until you you open it out so much that it ceases to be a v you know mm. and and uh and so by opening up the perspective to absorb uh the the full truth of the whole two-dimensional white page mm. you know now you're just bisecting it with a straight line and you've sort of you you don't have a letter v anymore you have a straight line across a white page and it becomes a it destroys your conception of stuffs being the letter v it destroys what you were trying to do but <laughs> embraces the, you know the 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 whole page as a sort of sort of single single diagram hence you could relate this idea to the atma darshana the uh vision of pan and the whole the totality of the universe and then beyond that the shiva darshana where you take that and destroy it uh, beware, therefore, O thou who hast appointed to understand the secrets of the outermost abyss, for in every abyss thou must assume the mask and form of the angel thereof. Hast thou a name, thou wert irrevocably lost. Search, therefore, if there be yet one drop of blood that is not gathered into the cup of Babylon the Beautiful, for in that little pile of dust, if there could be one drop of blood, it should be utterly corrupt. It should breed scorpions and vipers and the cat of slime. And I say unto the angel, Is there not one appointed as warden? And he say, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachathini. Such an ecstasy of anguish racks me that I cannot give it voice. 
yet I know it is but as the anguish of Gethsemane. Um, so here's a couple of things. If you have a name, you're irrevocably lost. So this actually is maybe where I got my my preconception about trances from, right? Because um, the name is sort of the center of the centerpiece of the ruach upon which you build your your whole personality, right? Like mm. at the center of of Eunice, there's the there's your title, right? Yeah. And so, in order to cross the abyss, all that stuff you need to you need to allow it to dissolve. So you're regarding, you know. Maybe not things in themselves, because you're still mediating it with your tools of perception, uh, but not you're not collating it as being like a piece of intellectual information. Right? Yeah. And so, uh, uh, and this is just what this is just what I was calling pratyahara, right? Mm. The the removal of language from yeah. from the conversation. Uh, so that's why I was, that's maybe why I was getting stressed out about it, but it's not that that is the experience of crossing the abyss. It's that if you can't do that, then you're going to fail at your experience of crossing the abyss. That's the, that's the weapon, not the, not the dragon. Mm. Right. And that Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani is, uh, um, what Christ cried out on the cross. Lord, oh Lord, why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, I have a story about that too, but let's, let's finish first. (laughs) Uh, and yes, you, you know what Gethsemane is? That, uh, okay. I'm, I'm just going off the top of my head, so I might be mistaken on this, but I, uh, my assumption was that it was the mount on which Christ was crucified, but I could be wrong about that. I think that's very good. I think it's the place, and again, I might be wrong. I looked it up, but only briefly. I think it's the place where he was prepared for crucifixion. Uh, so if he was whipped a bunch, if he had to build his own cross or whatever, if he was nailed or tied to a cross uh, or, a, or a post or whatever, if he had a crown of thorns pressed upon his head and then he was encouraged if you would, then he was gently encouraged to make a you know a solemn pilgrimage through town to the crucifixion site um gethsemane would have been the place where at least some of that happened gotcha uh, and so it, but the the meaning is the same uh eloa eloa lema sabachthini were not christ's last words uh-huh. uh uh, oh yeah, that's right. Well, I guess it depends on which. Uh... Well, there, there's 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 four gospels and three versions of the la- of what he says on the cross. But even if you use this version, it's not a cry of despair. If I'm writing a a, a short story uh, about you, and I say uh, Darren sang Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen, would you imagine Darren going? Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. <laughs> like you'd imagine him singing the song, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ cried, uh, Oh, Father, oh, Father, why have you forsaken me? Those, that's the first line of a psalm. And in this period, mm-hmm. the psalms weren't numbered and were referred to by the first, the first line. line. It's the title of a psalm he recites. That's and really the cool. psalm is about giving yourself up to the Lord. It's not about the mm. Lord betraying you. That's just, the, that's where it starts. That's incredible. I was always, you know, I mean, 
There's a whole Martin Scorsese movie based on the idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when people point to the point to contradictions between the Gospels, there are some, I'm sure. But uh, these, it doesn't necessarily say that this is the last thing he said. You know, he's up there for several days, and you can imagine him reciting mantras or you know yeah. singing, singing praises or something. And so this is one of the one of the praise songs he sings to the Lord as he's. You know, that's really the sun. cool. That's really yeah. cool, uh, and it reveals my uh, some missing information in my biblical understanding. Well, <laughs> which is I'm always... sure we all have missing information yeah. in biblical understanding. <laughs> uh, I'm sure there's a whole world of earnest Christians yeah, who, who just completely... don't even think about it. <laughs> uh, I I had a um, uh, classics was it a classics professor or was it my modern Western civ guy? Somebody at some point in my high school career, before I realized the Bible was a document a person could actually read, and I just spent a lot of time talking with people about what we had heard the Bible said. <laughs> um, the, the classics professor told me that the four Gospels represented four separate stories about Christ, four complete tellings of the life of Christ. And he dies four times, and, you know, there are three different versions of what he of his last words. And I was talking to my girlfriend at the time who had been Baptist for her entire life and said, no, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the beginning, the middle, oh, the, the climax, and the, and the, the denouement. Yeah. And uh, if there were four different stories of the crucifixion, I'm sure I would have heard about it in Sunday school. <laughs> like, there's no, wow. it's, it's one, it, the Bible is a narrative. And uh, she was so cross with me for like, like, you know. You, you, you heard one thing third hand from a high school teacher, and I've been a Christian my entire life. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I was right. <laughs> and that's, that that's, must all, have been that's really all pill. I came here to say tonight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> took me two hours to get it out, but I was right. <laughs> uh, thanks very much, Darren. I, I, do, do you feel satisfied with what we accomplished here? Yeah, I feel here? pretty good about this. This is a great conversation as always. Okay. Thanks for joining me again. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for everything. Good to be back. Love is the law, love under law. Love is the law, love under law. Thanks for listening. Find us online at torontothelema.org. Watch for events on Meetup and the usual social media spots and join us again in the darkly splendid abode. Let's keep this spontaneous ball off the ground. Yeah. Rolling, rolling, rolling. All right. So, um. Going to Boomtown. Going to Boomtown. Yeehaw. Yeehaw.